You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Right, so here we go. We're going to start. We'll try and make this as painless as possible for the listeners. We're starting with the year-end number one singles. And just to, and I know you've, got, you've all got the list there, but just to rattle off a couple, I think Marcus Buckland is going for Stefano Tsitsipas. Well, there we go. So he does not think there's going to be a second-year slump, Chris. No, he doesn't. Um, and it's possible... Um, but I would be surprised. Um, I just have a feeling that Djokovic is playing too well. I think Sissipas will finish the year in the top 10, but I don't think he's going to improve on what he did last year. He will do in a year or two's time. I picked him at number one. I just said, that when's that tipping point? When's that transitional tipping point happening? It's getting closer and closer and closer to it. We saw that a little bit at the end of uh, season finals that we all were at uh, at the O2. A little bit of that. We're seeing a little bit of it. Just sprinkling across the ATP tour. This could be the year. So I'm going Sitsipas. Who are you going for? I'm going to oh, wait, hang on. You're going Sitsipas to be year and number one? Yes. Chris? Djokovic. And I'm going, you can write me, I'm, right, I'm going for Novak Djokovic. should say that Naomi Cavade has gone for Nadal, believing that the body is going to stay fit and healthy and off we go. Pete Hodges has gone... Pete Hodges has gone for Dominic Team, who is sporting lovely blonde tips to his hair. I saw in his press conference a short while ago. So Pete Hodges has gone Dominic Team. That's possible, you know, because the thing about the number one ranking is it rewards consistency. And I think Team is likely to be the most consistent player over the year. What I'm not sure is whether he can win a major or more than one. And you generally have to win one or two to finish number one of the year. I know he can add more, and I know he says it's not important to him anymore, but when you look at Federer's schedule as it is, does it, would it, does it actually allow him to I be number one? I don't think so. I don't think Federer can be number one. I just don't think he plays enough tournaments. No, is he focused on being number one again? I don't I think doubt so. It. I think that it's changed a little bit. We're in an Olympic year, of course, uh, this year. That's one of the questions later on. But, you know, to, to focus on that and add an extra event into the schedule, we go over there and represent Switzerland. Um, yeah, he'd be focused on that. And, and I suppose it's now just about winning majors and, and just winning titles. And why has no one picked Medvedev after the year he had last year to be number one? Why would you pick, for instance, Tsitsipas over Medvedev to be year end number one? I think he will um, struggle to maintain. I mean, don't forget, Medvedev had that amazing run from just after Wimbledon. He's got virtually no ranking points to defend, so he could go up over the next three months. But I think then after that, he will struggle to defend an awful lot of those points. I also think too a little bit of that is volume of tournaments too. So he had that enormous block and then he had some time off and then he came back in Paris and he was struggling a little he bit was, there. Yes. And, um, you know, trying to manage the schedule, obviously they have a really good hold of it now, but he'll be trying to play so many tournaments across the year it might have a wearing effect and that'll be the only thing, but it will see him at the O2. Year-end number one doubles team. We should start by saying that the big news, the breaking news, was Robert Farah, who's been provisionally suspended, along with Nicholas Shari. Both tested positive for compounds from the steroid family. Now, both have released statements, I think, in Farah's case. He said in Colombia, it's, it's something that's found in a lot of meat in Colombia, and he's eaten a lot, and the Colombian Olympic Committee have come forward on his behalf. And he described the moment as the saddest moment of my life. So. Well, especially after such an amazing year they had last year. And that was one of the revelations of last year, just to see how well they did. And they spent, there's a saying in show business, you can spend 20 years becoming an overnight star. And in many ways, you know, they were so dominant last year, and yet they'd taken about 10 years building themselves up to that position. And it was a lovely story, and it is very, very sad. He says it was contaminated meat. Um, 
we obviously can't judge at this stage. We have to let the judicial process take its uh, course. But uh, very sad. Um, but it means that the doubles is very much open. Barry Mills has gone for the Bryan brothers. Now, we know they are retiring this year at the US Open. It's going to be difficult, though, because they're not playing an awful lot. They said the thing about this year, Pete, is that they're going to play what they want to play and just do bits and pieces here and there. So I really, really, really don't think... Look, they weren't that bothered about the Tour Finals as they've done what they needed to do. They didn't. They could have gone to the Tour Finals and qualified. So I'm not sure. Yeah, well done, Milnesy. But I think that one of the things, though, is that it's going to be... It's a shame because we want to see one of the great doubles teams of all time I'd love them to do a full farewell lap of uh, and get all the appreciation because there's so much fan love out there at every event that they go to and particularly here too there'll be a massive crowd for each of the matches that they play because it's so sad to see them go I hope though they do put Barcelona on their list because every year they've said we go to Barcelona we celebrate our birthday in Barcelona, so I hope they have one more go there at least. <laughs> I think it's a funny year for doubles. Olympic years are a little bit strange because some really effective pairs break up if they're not from the same nationality and you will get a few more pairs from the same nationality. I'm not sure if Jamie Murray and Neil Skupski would have carried on playing if it wasn't for the fact that this is an Olympic year because they had a Oh, they did well in some tournaments, but uh, it took a long time for them to get going. And I think we will see some pairs um, from the same nationality who wouldn't otherwise play together. So it's a slightly different year, though. No less fascinating for that. Now, Brian Clark, they can't play together in the Olympics, but they're, they're close in terms of countries, has gone for the new pairing of Mike Venus and John Piers. Obviously, Piers and Continent are no more. Was that, was that a scowl there? Peter, or were you just wrinkling your nose? Uh, I just, well, I'll go with mine because I picked Cubot and Mallow. I'll take it, that was a yes. <laughs> Cubot and Mallow. Right. Uh, I'm going for. Any any backup to that or just nope. just going to give us the names? Lovely. Nope. I'm just giving you the names. Chris? I mean, I, I, I think um, it was a risk for Continent and Piers to break up. I mean, I know Piers was very shaken when Jamie Murray decided to break up uh, the um, Murray and Piers partnership. And in a way, I think uh, Piers did better with Henry Continent. I think Continent is a really underestimated doubles player. I think he's one of the best doubles players out there. And in a way, I think anybody will do well with Henry Continent. Who have you gone for, Chris? Um, I've gone for um, Pavic and um, Suarez. Suarez because I think that was a slightly accidental pair of last year. That Sometimes these accidental pairs, they just work really well. Um, I think it's a very, very open year and I think they've got real momentum because they had a, they've, they very nearly qualified for London on half a year's worth of results. And I think when that happens, you've got something that really works. And Pavic has done well before, Suarez has got a great pedigree, and uh, I think that could be a really useful... Um, they may not win that many tournaments, but I think they're going to win an awful lot of matches. They're going to be regular semi-finalists. And I, your pen is poised to write down, this is so I can't change anything. So in a few months' time, I'll say, I'm sure I didn't say that. I'm going for Kravitz and Mies. Ah. The German pairing. They, they feel like there's some fairy tale pairing who came together. They couldn't initially play together at the start of last year because of ranking problems. Then they were able to come together. Then they win Roland Garros. They made it to the tour finals. They had a, a film crew following them. And what I love about them, they're very much yin and yang. You have the quiet, you have the loud. I love their style of play. But the smile on their faces, they are enjoying every single minute of this. They know each other very, very well, despite not having been a, a proper pairing for that long. Will they do well in the second half of the year? I mean, I, I, I agree with everything you've said. I 
listening to some of their press conferences, especially the German stuff, and they're, you know, they are yin and yang. There's, you know, the serious one and there's the slightly uh, humorous one. They're, they're a lovely pair. I just wonder whether once the ranking points start to come up for defending from Roland Garros onwards, whether there will be an additional pressure on them. They did well in New York, didn't they? But that's really the only thing they've got to defend uh, before Roland Garros. Yeah, because they played a lot on the Challenger Tour in the first half of the year. Yes, so exactly. you replace those Challenger points with ATP main tour points, so you're going to bank a lot in the first half of the year anyway. Right, well, let's go to number three. This is Breakthrough Player of the Year, and in brackets, player outside top 100 who's not been there before, because initially when I saw this question, I had a look at the rankings, I thought, great, Kevin Anderson. <laughs> well, Songa's song outside He's the top 100. He's going to be my Breakthrough Player of the Year. Songa's what about Juan Martin Del Potro yeah. when he comes back? And Murray. Murray's outside the uh, top 100. No, but the, the idea is somebody who has never been in the top 100 who we believe will break well into the top 100. There's a clarification that was required and I had, we had a little committee meeting with the hard-working producer and myself to just tighten up a few of these things so there's no ambiguity at the other end of the year. Hang on, last year I went for Jack Sock. He no longer has a ranking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so they are my predictions. Now, if, if we run through, I have it written down. And this is very wide open. Mm. Well, hang on, we've got... Oh, no, hang on. It's amazing Let's... how many people have gone for one player. And you I've... can only have one player. Well, no, but no, for the same guy. Oh, right, sorry. And, and if, if you look at how many people have gone for Emil Rusevuri, I think that's fascinating because it means an awful lot of our commentators, our colleagues, think that he is going to be... Uh, Can I also say I have? If you want to write that in now, right. that is my... You've that gone is, for Rusevuri. That is my pick. Yeah. A little bit of research went into that. I'm not yeah. saying I'm, I'm overly confident. And I think this one is... This one is interestingly, Chris, your pick, if you'd like to give us the yeah, name... Yeah, Holger Rune. If you'd like to give us the full name, please, Chris. Oh, goodness me. Holger, oh, I'm going to have to read this, aren't I? I can't find his name on the list. Um, Holger Vitas Nodskov Rune. Yes, but he did say when we interviewed him at uh, the O2 in London, at the ATP Finals, he did say, oh, just Holger Rune. But my problem with him, and I was thinking about him because I watched him at Roland Garros, where he won the junior title, is he doesn't have a ranking at the moment, and he's only 16. So I think he would have to give it some big guns. I was watching him practice um, in London, and I thought, wow. Um, I may have gone for him a year too early, that's possible. But do you know one of the things that got for me? This is nothing to do with tennis. Well, it is to do with tennis, but nothing to do with his ability to play. Bjorn Borg's middle name was Rune, and I thought, ah, oh, that's interesting. Spelled the same way. I'll just write that one down there. Mjorn Borgsman. So I went for, I went slightly different to that. Uh, I've gone for an Aussie in the result that surprises no one. Christopher O'Connell, who's ranked just outside the top 100, but he has made enormous strides, like hundreds of places in the rankings, and he is going to just continue to make that rise up. I think he's got Medvedev, not Medvedev, Rublev first up here at the Australian Open, but he's in the main draw, and he's just on the cusp of the top 100, so he could have a big year and at least get to maybe the cusp of the top 50 if he keeps going the way he is. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting shout. In a way, this is the real stab in the dark, isn't it, this one? Because who knows which junior is ready. Um, and it could be one where they, they have a, a good tournament early in the year and suddenly their confidence rockets. And, of course, we all know they have the game to damage the big players. It's that belief whether they'll play the right shot at four all, 30 all. JJ Wolf comes up quite a lot. I, I say quite a lot, three people, but that is the most that 
Yeah, I haven't seen him play, so I can't judge that. Have you seen him play, Peter? A little bit in the qualifying this week he was playing. uh, And, you know, he's got a really solid game. And I tend to point to a good friend of ours who uh, we'll be hearing on ATP Tennis Radio, who we had in the podcast last week, uh, Mike Coffee with Cation, who sees these guys week in, week out. So he's often the the best indicator of who's the talent on the Challenger Tour that's going to take the next step, and particularly American talent. And he does have a lot to say favourably about J.J. Wolfe. Actually, we I, we all missed there. Shouldn't, we should have all gone with who Mike Cation went for, with his knowledge of the of the Challenger Tour. Now, normally at this stage we'd do comeback player, but it's not going to be an official question this year because they announced that after the Tour Finals, which is when we we open this box. But in terms of comebacks, Chris, we've got Andy Murray who recently delayed his comeback, further cancelling a couple of tournaments he was due to play in next month. Juan Martin Del Potro, we await him. Kevin Anderson on the comeback trail. Tanasi Kokonakis, my word, can he not get a break with his body? And the, the unranked, newly engaged Jack Sock. Yeah, I mean, I think what you've got to look at there is whose determination burns brightest. I uh, believe Del Potro wants it, but I think at the back of his mind, there must be how many times will my body break down. I'm not sure Sock wants it enough. Anderson, possibly, but I'm not sure about that one. I was impressed with the way he started in Brisbane, considering how much time he had off. He played, come up against Novak in your first match, and I thought he was super, super impressive. Have you seen the documentary resurfacing about Andy Murray? Because one of the things that taught me was just how determined Murray is. And if the hip and the, the pelvic injury that he currently has, if he can actually keep them at bay, I think he could get into at least the top 20 this year. I think the determination burns so brightly with him that as long as the body plays ball to a certain extent, and there will be setbacks, um, then I think he uh, could easily get back that far. But just seeing, it was a fascinating document. I would recommend it to anybody, um, the study of what makes a tennis player, because you see the little boy sort of saying, but I've done everything they asked me. Why isn't it better? Uh, As much as you see those eyes that look like, you know, I would not want to meet this guy when he's in a bad mood. But I think that's the thing. The determination is there. And we've always known that with Andy Murray and the love of playing the game, which is why it's still there. But also what came up in this documentary and his wife, Kim, mentioned a couple of times. He is ready to walk away. He is ready now to walk. He got to a point where he was going to. And then she said, well, no, look, try this. Just try and push a little bit more. But he he did get to the point when he's like, you know what? Enough is enough. So I think he's got to that point now. And even by delaying this comeback, he has said, I'm not going to force myself. I'm not going to put the pressure on. I'm not going to listen to any kind of pressure. You have to be back for this or that. If it's not right, I will not come back and step onto that court. And he's already made a most amazing comeback. To think of where he was this time last year, to think of what he went through. And that documentary, you see the operation. I mean, it's not for the squeamish. I was turning my head away from the screen at one stage because you see the that hip being hammered into his hip socket. But um, he went on to win Antwerp um, from a set and a breakdown uh, against Vavrinka in the fight. Okay, Vavrinka's not the player he was, but that's a class win in a tournament and if he achieves nothing more he has been 
and um, he's made an amazing comeback. Um, we're not talking about retiring him again. That that didn't work for us last year, so we're not doing it here again. But I, the, the point comes back to, um, you were talking about uh, before some of the other players in terms of scheduling. So he, like Federer, can, can stretch out the schedule. But my feeling in terms of why he would be the comeback player is he'll be successful in those events that he enters. So he may not enter a huge amount of events across the year, but you know with that determination that the body's right and he's hitting and practicing, that he's going to do really well in each of those events and he'll be able to make those rise up the rankings again. Because remembering too, he hasn't got any points to defend. Well, he's got points to defend here in Australia, but then after that, when he had his time off the tour, it was a long time off. So he could really build some points through the American swing. And a word on Tanasi Kokinakis, who, whose body is is just not and will not play ball. No, we, we know the talent that's there. We were preparing for another big uh, summer. He was going to come down. He, he would be that player that you wouldn't want to face in the draw because he's liable to just play a blinder and beat you. But he just can't get out there. And there's so many hard luck stories in this sport, aren't there, about players who have immense amounts of talent but haven't been able to... Not because of lack of will or anything like that. It's just because their bodies give up on them. Tanasi's another one. He's going to keep trying and trying and trying. The good part is, too, being an Australian, that he is in the Australian system and obviously all the Australian players are getting behind him and supporting him through it, too. And they've got a good camaraderie, um, all of the Aussie players. And I think that's built from Davis Cup, ATP Cup. But that really that team spirit extends, not just for the players who are out there playing and the top players, but all the way down the list too, and Tanasi's another one of those. Right, so that wasn't a question, but we thought we'd have a little chat about players coming back onto the tour. Onto the tour. Time capsule question number four. You're with Chris Bauer, Gigi Sound and Peter Mercato. Chris and Peter, you'll be hearing on the rebroadcasted AO Radio on ATP Tennis Radio. They're also going to be doing your podcasts in a week's time and then the one at the end of the tournament. Next-gen winner, Chung, we talked about, pulled out of qualifying with tendonitis, 2017. Setsapaus, 2018. And Yannick Sinner in 2019. Will Sinner do it again? No, I don't think he will. Uh, I think he's... Um, was the build-up. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just giving you an honest answer. I think he um, has had an amazing year. I think he's a class act. I think he will be good. But, you know, we've just been talking about um, all the injuries that Kokonakis has had. This is a brutal sport, and it doesn't surprise me when players have an onward march and then they have to take a step back and so much of development in tennis is two steps forward one step back and we must be prepared for even the players who are heading for number one maybe five years time to take that step back and I think Sinner has made such amazing progress but that he will probably take a step back this year and I I see him advancing up the rankings but I don't see him making quite the astonishing progress and it's very easy when you you have the kind of win that he had in Milan at the end of last year to assume that um, it's going to go up and up and up I think it will continue to go up but nothing like the same rate and then he'll have another spurt and look at Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, Vavrinka, they all had that gradual progress with occasional step backs or, or slowing the, you know, the acceleration. It's amazing today, just before I came down to meet you guys, Yannick Sinner was about to go into press, the amount of people who wanted it this time last year. I know he wasn't involved in the main draw, but 
British press, press from all over the world wanting to speak to Yannick, and he's a really good talker. I think that's another thing about Yannick Sinner. We're learning a lot about him. He used to be a professional skier. He moved into tennis. He's got a very good team around him, but he's also a very good talker. And you know what the other thing is? The ATP, if you catch it on the socials, have uh, released the documentary about the next-gen finals, the biggest revelation to come out of that about Yannick Sinner. So part of the, the tournament, they get dressed up for... The draw, they're in Milan, they've got, they're in the height of fashion. Was, that was the first time he's wore a suit. Really? I thought the biggest revelation was that he eats carrots at changeovers. No, well, I think the biggest revelation was he went out and played a challenger the next week after winning the next-gen So there's finals. actually quite a few things about Yannick Watch Sinner. It. It's well worth watching that on <laughs> so the ATP socials. Miles McLagan is going for Yannick Sinner. I am going for Perhaps, Yannick Sinner. You know. Chris, at this point, you are going for... I'm going for, for Miomir Ketsmanovic. I was looking for somebody who is, for a start, still you know, the right age for it, who will get enough out of it. Because we've had players who've surged for, you know, Sverev qualified, Tsitsipas qualified, but they did so well elsewhere that it actually wasn't in their interest. Um, and, and Shapovalov um, pulled out with exhaustion having qualified. And I just think um, I want a player who is a class player who is going to be big, but who will recognise that the experience to be gained by playing the next-gen finals is of immense value. And I think Ketsmanovic is one of those. I think he is going a long way. I don't think he'd be quite as good as Djokovic, but I think he is certainly top 20, possibly top 10. And I think he will prioritise that uh, because I think he will easily qualify. And Peter, your choice for winner of next-gen? I went finish. I went finish again. Fiori. I think he's going to be uh, that one who's going to just keep accumulating points throughout. He may not be top of the, the next-gen race. I see, so you haven't gone for him as your breakthrough player, or have yes, you? Yes, no. You haven't gone for him as your breakthrough, but he is going to break through and win next-gen. He's going to win the next-gen, yes. Okay, and we've got again. We've got a we've got a mix of, of who people think is is going to come through. Corentin Mute as Luciana Marcus Buckland, Harold Mayotte for Philip Studd, and and as I say, Felix Ogieliasim is also someone that features quite prominently. See, I think that if he qualifies, he may say, you know, given how much he's done on the full ATP tour, you know, he, he it's possible that he could qualify for London. You know, for the ATP finals. Oh, that's a question to come. The last London. That is a question to come. On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com, this is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Question five. Which singles player will win the most tour titles? That's Grand Slam, Masters, 500s and 250s, up to and including Paris. Who would like to start? Well, I'm going Djokovic. Because I've got to okay. have one boring answer in the whole lot, but I think he'll just accumulate titles along the way. Mike Cation, who we were talking about, has gone for Sits of Pass. Kevin Skinner has gone for Rafa Nadal. Lucy Arles has gone for, ooh, Alex de Menor, so she's hoping he gets well soon. Did you say who you'd gone for? Team. Team. Because I just think he will win more matches over the course of the year. I think Djokovic, Djokovic has got to that stage of his career where he now peaks and I don't think he's going to win as many matches but he'll probably win more important matches and I've gone for Medvedev you can you can write me in for or I think maybe I should go for Rublev after the start of the ace had so question six who will win the men's singles gold in Tokyo Andy Murray winner 2012 and 2016 beat Juan Martin Del Potro four years ago both 
on the comeback trail, looking to be on the comeback trail. Are they going to be involved? We've had other players, Nadal, Nishikori, Djokovic. They've all won medals at the Olympics. We, uh, Brian Clark, let me say, has gone for Stefano Tsitsipas. Producer Chessie's gone with Andy Murray. We've got Barry Cowan, Marcus Buckland and Seb Lozier have all gone for Roger Federer. Romantic notions, all of those. I've gone for Tsitsipas to carry. I mean, you see how patriotic he is at the best of times with the, the Greek fans behind him, particularly up in Brisbane. But continuing that on, I think that could uh, carry on to the Olympics. I think he'll be setting himself to, to win that amongst everything else this season. Well, I've gone for a Russian. I've gone for Medvedev, which is a bold choice because at the moment it's not sure whether Russia can actually play because of Rusada's uh, dispute with the uh, World Anti-Doping Agency. However, the likely situation is likely to be a repeat of what happened in Rio where any Russian athlete who has not had doping infringements can compete but not as a Russian and I suspect that there'll be an awful lot of Russian athletes at the Olympics who will be desperately keen to win for Russia even though they're not flying the Russian flag and I suspect Medvedev will be one of those and because tennis has this very strict anti-doping program and he is uh, uh, has no infringements on that he will be A allowed to compete and B will be incredibly determined I was tempted to go for Jack Sock we know someone who likes playing for their country sort of a team sport um, but after my success or failure with picking him last year for breakthrough player I've gone for Kei Nishikori I feel Nishikori's whole life has been building up to the Tokyo Olympics. He I know has there an will awful never, lot of pressure no, I know there will never be more pressure on any human being in the world ever the Nishikori in Japan, although Naomi Osaka can just take a little bit up, he is still the golden boy. He's still the golden child of Japanese sport. He's on billboards, planes, noodles, everything. Nishikori, he can't live in Tokyo, has to go out and disguise in Tokyo. But I just feel, I just feel that maybe this is when the stars come together. This is Nishikori's moment in Japan. And you're also making the assumption that he's going to be fit. He's not he, going to be injured. He will be wrapped in cotton wool for however bubble long wrapped. it takes, bubble wrapped <laughs> and, and put in cold storage, whatever it takes <laughs> to get Nishikuri fit. There is, there is not a chance, not a chance that he is not at the Olympics. He might not be fully fit at the Olympics. He will be there what, and then... Competing in like part of the opening ceremony show or something? He's going to win gold. <laughs> He'll be part of the opening ceremony. I think of that you could be certain. Nishikuri will win gold at the Olympics. Right, you heard it here first. Two questions to go, and this will probably turn out to be the longest podcast in history, but stay with us because we are getting there, just the two. The winner of each of the Grand Slams, we're talking singles titles, just to let you know that Nick Lister and Barry Mills have gone for Denis Shapovalov for the US Open, while Simon Cambers has got Shapovalov to win Wimbledon. And actually, I saw Simon early, and he did, in our two-minute conversation, just happened to say that. He said, you do know I've gone Shapovalov for Wimbledon. Pete Hodges and Kevin Skinner, the only ones picking Roger Federer for Wimbledon. It means that Chris Bowers has not picked Roger Federer to win Wimbledon no I haven't what? I think that's his best chance of winning a slam but I don't think he will no. so that means you do not have Federer winning a Grand Slam title in 2020 that, I'd love to be wrong on that one but I that's correct I don't think he will I also think that this may be his last year Oh, we, we've abandoned the headline question too. That was probably yeah. That could have been yeah. The, the headlines were just getting a bit too random. And I have too no weird. inside knowledge on that, by the way. I hasten to add. I just have the feeling that uh, when he feels he can't win a slam, he will suddenly find the motivation 
ebbs. And in an Olympic year, you do look, whether it's it's a Venus Williams or it's a Roger Federer, you look to these moments and think, I know the Bryan brothers said, look, that's not, it's really just the US Open we'd like to go out at, but you do sometimes look at these Olympic years. So Chris, you, you're four then, do you have your four? Um, yes, I went for Djokovic at the Australian. That's just his tournament, the way Roland Garros is uh, Nadal's and uh, Wimbledon has been Federer's. Um, I've actually gone for... Uh, sometime the Nadal dominance at Roland Garros is bound to end, and I think it's going to happen this year. I think team is ready to win this one. I think something may depend on the draw, because I think if team has to beat both Djokovic and Nadal, it may be tougher, but... Um, you know, uh, I think team will be ready for this one. I think Djokovic has worked out. He, he's now the best grass court player. Um, and um, I've gone for Medvedev at the US Open because I think Medvedev might have a slow start to the year, but I think he will be... He, he is best on those concrete-like hard courts. I think they just suit his game down to the ground. And I think he's got a relationship with New York now that built up through that rather weird... Remember, he, they hated him. He was the uh, uh, the bogeyman at uh, the US Open. And then because he had a little bit of humility, they ended up loving him. And I think uh, I think New, New York will just be his place. I'll just say at this moment, and you can write them, and I've, Chris and I have gone the same. Djokovic to win here in Australia. I've gone team to break the Nadal dominance in Paris. Djokovic again at Wimbledon. I, I just can't see past him. And then I've gone Medvedev at the US Open. So they are my force. So that leaves Peter McCarter to give us his four major winners of 2020. V Medvedev. Right, I've written that. Right, got it. Uh, now I've done three out of the four with you and then I've said Tsitsipas for the US Open because I feel if he's going to be year-end number one singles he's going to need those points. So there is a feeling that Nadal's dominance will finish this year even, therefore. I haven't even put him in the, uh, the next question. All right, well, let's, okay, eight there? singles players will make it to the 2020 Nito ATP Finals. We should say it's the last time the finals are going to be held in London. This is their last year. I should say that Miles McLaggen, just a couple of notable time capsule entries. Miles McLaggen has gone Vavrinka. Uh, Mikey Pereira has gone Felix Auger-Ali. Felix Auger-Aliassime. I can't even say the name. It's the jet lag, I told you. It's because we've been going nearly an hour. The jet lag's kicking in. I should be asleep. Miles Palmer has gone Denis Shapovalov. Mike Cation has gone Milos Raonic. Sue Thurl's gone Berrettini and Nishikuri in there. Nick McCarver, Lucille, Gilles Muller have got Alex Dimonor in there. Eight. Chris, would you would you like to give us your eight? Yeah, I mean, I've gone for um, Djokovic, Nadal and Federer. Team, I'm sure, will be in there. Uh, Medvedev, I'm sure, will be in there. Sesipas, I'm sure, will be in there. I umdenard about Sverev, but I think he will win enough matches to get in in seventh or eighth. And there's, uh, I, ju I just feel that Shapovalov is due a surge up the rankings. I think the way he plays, it's going to be slow progress. But I think that, uh, you know, having got into the top 20 and then slipped back down to 40, I think he's got enough um, steel in his game now that he will get up there. I don't think he's going to be the most consistent player in the year. I think he's going to have one very good slam, could get to the semi-finals, and it could be someone like Wimbledon, because I think his game is well suited to uh, to grass. And I think he will uh, pick up enough points to slip in in seventh or eighth. So those are my eight. Peace, Mikasa. Hello. Djokovic, Federer, Team, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Rublev, Anderson, and Monfils. You reckon that the, the flame will be burning for Gail Monfils having just been sort of you know, thereabouts and he just needs to take that next... I don't think Chris and I are with you on that. I, uh, I know, I know, and I know a lot of my predictions, no one was with me, but I'm flying the flag. 
Kevin Anderson to stay on the tour for 12 full months, have a good year, just win enough matches to get there. Rublev's had a good start to the season. And you've both gone and I've gone for Federer, despite we're not giving him a grand slam and his schedule's pared down. We think he's going to do enough and get enough points. Yes, I think he's, I mean, he's so consistent over the years and I think he still is very, very consistent and he will win enough matches to qualify. What's interesting about yours, Peter, I can quite understand you not tipping Nadal for a, a, a slam, but given his dominance on clay, are you saying that he will have such a bad clay court season that he won't pick up enough points to actually get there um, just just by sheer weight of performance on the red stuff? I just, I again, hindsight will be a beautiful thing at the other end when you all throw tomatoes at me. Uh, but maybe, maybe, maybe this might be a year that he's injured. Okay. Maybe. So, oh yes, you've got to write all these down. So, my eight, Djokovic. You can probably put initials rather than writing everyone's name out. Team. Medvedev. We need to find a shortened version to write that. Oh, here we go. Sitsipas. I thought I'd give you the long names altogether. Another one, Shapovalov. You're doing this deliberately now. You're lucky I haven't got Felix Ogielia seen, aren't you? So Sitsipas. Chapeau, I'm just putting Chapeau. Nadal, just to shorten things a little bit. Federer. And Rublev. So you and I like Andre Rublev. We've been on the Rublev train for a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I started on that track last year with the, the Masters when I waited to see if he qualified from qualifying and I was the first one to put him in a Masters 1, 2, 3 because someone who practices like he does, I mean, it's like it's the end of the world is coming. Every shot, every moment, every ball, he's been in a boy band. He writes play for kids and play for life on the camera. I mean, someone who has all that in their game and then can hit a ball harder than I've ever seen. I mean, you have to support that kind of player. Yeah, but I'm not sure that he's ready for two reasons. One, I don't think there's enough variety in his game. Are you putting another dampener? I don't think there's enough variety in his game. And uh, therefore, he will get found out by the players. He can at the sing very to top. his opponents if things get and tough. And the other thing is, um, <laughs> I would like to know that his body will stand out the rigors of, you know, to get to the top eight, you've got to be uh, playing most weeks and playing an awful lot of matches. And his body gave way a couple of years ago, and I just, he's still very young. No, no, Did no. He just put just, total dampener in there. We're going to total change your dampener. name from Chris Bowers to Debbie Downer. Let's just, uh, <laughs> just flatten us off at the end of the podcast. But uh, look, he will. I think he'll play a volume of matches and I think he'll do reasonably well. Maybe not at federal levels in terms of the massive tournaments, but certainly 500s and and 250s along the way, he'll win a volume of matches this season to get him in. I think he'll win a volume of matches, but I'm just not sure he'll win enough. And I I think actually you're seeing players peak between 25 and 32 these days. That's become the the new sort of peak time. And what, he's still 22? 22? Yeah, 22. I just think there's still work to do there. And I think we are getting slightly misled by the fact that Sissipas and Medvedev and Zverev have all done very well in their early 20s in the last couple of years. And I just think that to get up to the very top, you still need that... uh, you need the miles on the clock to have built up your fitness and your variety and your experience to get up there. I think we just, so that I'm not a downer, I think we are going to have another year it's of this amazing generation of Federer Nadal Djokovic. Put a total downer on that, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> to, to end on a, on a positive, because this podcast has been long enough to get you to work and back and work in between. Can we put the bits of paper in 
the yes. smallest possible. So what we've done, everybody submitted their questions via email. Peter, being a resident here, has things like printers and did all that sort of organized stuff. He's having to fold it. It's a little bit like origami. Yeah, because I, the I box actually is took so an small. origami course and learned from my mistakes. Why would you take an origami course? So I could put stick this in the box. It'll come up, you wait till the O2, it'll appear. Come up like a, a swan. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> the other thing too is I learned how to print double-sided, so I didn't need as much paper to fit in the box. But anyway, let me just... Uh, let me Listener, it is a uh, perfectly regular rectangular box. It's, it's not very shaped small. like a... Um, a tennis ball. <laughs> like a, uh, a bird or something. Right, so it's in. Done. Oh, no, that's come off. Okay, right. Lock it. Locked. So that is locked, but... Now I'm going to swallow the key. There's a little there's a little hole in the top, like a letterbox for a tiny letter. So if we do get a listener who wants to enter via Twitter, as Peter's now done an origami course, he will fold it up into the tiniest possible square and slip it in the top. Exactly. Does and, that sound... Uh, and I, as promised, will swallow the key for safekeeping. Now, most people leave. We start in the afternoon. It's now the evening here in Australia, so most people are going. But most Peter, people have uh, left. But <laughs> what, have we, what have you done to them? <laughs> Chris, give us a quick AO radio to so what time to come on in the morning. And, and just, again, a reminder, as we're rebroadcasting on ATP Tennis Radio, what we can expect. Well, when play starts at 11 o'clock Melbourne time on the Rod Laver Arena, we will be on at 11 o'clock on ATP Tennis Radio. Um, bang on 11 and we will have all the singles matches on the Rod Laver Arena throughout the tournament and obviously the, the schedule will start changing from middle of the second week um, the night sessions move from 7 to 7.30 on one day of the second week I don't know which one offhand but uh, it'll, I'm sure it'll be uh, easily findable on the internet and then um, by the last three days we get the uh, day sessions which are truncated we start a little bit later but we'll be announcing that uh, at the end of the previous day and it'll be fairly obvious basically follow the singles on Rod Laver Arena we do doubles for the three main draw finals um, but uh, unless it's just to um, fill a gap leading up to a singles match we don't do doubles until the main draw and maybe if I commentate as loud as you Peter you can hear me through the walls on AO Radio well, I figure it's the only way I can get on the BBC but the other thing too just to point out is that we we're not just yes we're Rod Laver Arena focused but we're keeping up to date with everything on all the other courts if there are other matches that we will be getting out need to get out and about to and all the big moments around the place we will have all of that covered too and hearing from players and basically picking up on the discussion points uh, you know and, and they're normally our discussion points and, and as i said before having a good time so we've all gone djokovic to win the australian open i think that is conclusive um, I'm going to leave you guys to it for the remaining pods. But thank you for being here today. As I say, I know it's evening. And it... <laughs> that, that, that's, that's telling us to stop. Well, that's, that's it. When, when the Australian Open was at Kuyong, uh, which is right by a main highway, all the lorries that went past that knew that the tennis was on would uh, honk, wouldn't they? The timing could not have been better for that noise. It means stop. We, we've had enough. It's been a pleasure to be with you. A reminder, though, as Chris said, that we are rebroadcasting on ATP Tennis Radio, AO Radio, from the Australian Open. So make sure you check out the channel on TuneIn or via the ATP Tour website. Just click on the listen button. It's very, very straightforward. And as I said, if you can't listen live, join Peter and Chris next week. They'll be looking back over events from the first week and ahead to the knockout stages. I'm Gigi Salmon, and this has been probably the longest ever ATP Tennis Radio podcast. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.